The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at overlandpark.cc. Well, good morning and welcome to OPCC. It's good to see you all today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Zechariah chapter 7. Zechariah chapter 7. We're going to be in chapter 7 and 8. we got a lot to do here today, okay? Y'all ready? Good, man. Need a little energy from y'all today. It's enough out of you. All right, so today we begin a shift in the book of Zechariah. We've been dealing with all of these visions. Um, and so for two years, or for several, two years have passed since that. So we looked at all of these re- really incredible visions that the prophet Zechariah had all in one night. And they were all about what the Lord was doing. And it's been fascinating to see how much they played into um, the New Testament and everything that Jesus taught and how he fulfilled much of what Zechariah was uh, prophesying. And so two years have passed since these night visions were happening. Now remember, you have about 50,000 people who left Babylon who were in Babylonian captivity. So the whole, all of the people had been carried away And then 50,000 of them were released, and they chose to come back, and they were going to rebuild um, the city of of Jerusalem. And so they started with the temple. That's what God told them that he wanted them to do. And by a decree um, from the Babylonian king, they were just released. And so God made a way, Just and that was a fulfillment of prophecy, that they would be carried away in captivity for 70 years, and then they were released And so this group has gone back, and they've started to work on the temple. And so the work was continuing, and it was nearing completion, but it wasn't quite finished yet. And so there's a delegation of bros that come back from Babylon, Bethel, and the areas surrounding. And they have a question. They come back, and they ask a question of the priests and the religious leaders about uh, fasting, And so they had been fasting now for 90 years. And so they had different fasts, and one of the fasts that they had implemented was at the destruction of of the temple, and there were four different fasts that they observed. There was one when the anniversary of the walls when they were destroyed. There was another that they observed when the temple was destroyed. There was another that they observed when um, Gedaliah, who was the uh, governor at the time, When he was assassinated by the Babylonians, he and much of the leadership, and then they had a fourth that they observed whenever um, the Babylonians actually seized the city and they took it over. And so for 70 years in captivity, once a year at different times and different months, they would observe a fast to remember these things because they weren't able to practice their... um, their, their worship, if you will, like they did when they had their own country. So they would fast, and they would, and in these fasts, it doesn't simply mean that they were just um, uh, not eating that day. They were, they were trying to set themselves apart and do things differently to remember, okay? That's, that was the uh, original intent of the fast. Now, what's fascinating about the fast is God didn't tell them to do that. And so there's only one fast that they were to observe, and that was the fast of atonement, and it was a partial fast uh, on the day of atonement. And so these fasts that they did, they were kind of things that they were doing, and they were disciplines to help them uh, to remember some very important things in their lives. And so that's really what a fast is designed to do for us. When we fast, maybe we give up food for a day. It is designed um, to help us focus. And so it's a, it's a discipline. And so we don't do it to, to be good. We do it to sort of just get, just get focused. And really, um, really for them, it had a lot to do with mourning over sin and mourning over you know, how they got into that position in the first place. And it's just a real powerful experience of devoted prayer is what I would call it, is what it should be when it's, when it's done in a healthy way. And so these guys, they had been doing it for... Not only had they been doing it for 70 years, they had been doing it 90 years because they did it for 70 years in captivity. And then once they were liberated and the 50,000 went back, they continued on fasting. And so these, this delegation of guys, they show up and they're wanting to know, is the, 
Is this particular fast that is for the temple still necessary? It's a great question. Because now the temple is being built. It's coming out of the ground. It's nearing completion. The altar has been reestablished. They're sacrificing again. So do they still need to do this fast? And that's what they were asking of of the priests of that day. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to teach through chapter 7 and 8, and God answers their question. So you'll see the question, and then you'll see that God answers their question. And he answers it um, in, in chapter 7 and chapter 8. And that's why we're doing two chapters today, because it's God's answer to this question, should we still be observing this fast over the temple? And it's pretty fascinating how God answers. He answers and he reminds them about their forefathers and why they're in the position that they're even in today, and how the, the, the city got ruined and, and desolated. Um, and then he reminds them about themselves in the present time, and then part of his answer is about the future, okay? And then we'll, so after I teach through it, I'm going to come back and I'm going to give you some takeaways, and there are several of them, and, uh, and I think that they're going to be helpful for you on your spiritual journey on where you're at with the Lord, but that's kind of how we're, we're going to approach today's uh, message. And so let's start in chapter 7, and you track along with me and imagine these guys are coming back and they're asking about this. Two years have passed since the night vision. The temple's going up. And it says, In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, the month of Kislev. And the people of Bethel had sent Sherezer and Regum and Maik or Malik, all right, together with their men to entreat the Lord by asking the priests of the house of the Lord Almighty and the prophets, should I mourn and fast in the fifth months as I've done for so many years? Should I keep doing this? Then the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. Ask all the people of the land. And so God answers their question with a question. Ask all the people of the land and the priests. When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months for the past 70 years, was it really for me that you fasted? And when you were eating and drinking, were you not just feasting for yourselves? Are these not the words the Lord proclaimed through the earlier prophets when Jerusalem and its surrounding towns were at rest and prosperous and the Negev and the western foothills were settled? And so he's saying, Isn't this the way it was 70 years ago when you were living in times of prosperity and I raised up Amos and I raised up, um, you know, uh, uh, all these different prophets that we studied before we got to these three in the exile? He says, wasn't this the way things, like things were really prosperous at that time. And he says, and so he says, and the word of the Lord came again to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. In your hearts, do not think evil of each other. He's saying, listen, as I told you before in the, in the land, when everything was prosperous and I was trying to get your attention, what I'm concerned about is your relationship with me, that it is right, that vertically you are in good standing with me. You are walking with me. You are hearing my, my voice and my leadership, and I, I'm... I'm leading you in life, and you're submitting to my leadership. And you're doing so in such a way that you are treating your fellow man um, correctly. And so that's why he brings up these, these people. Um, the, the, uh, you know, he, he says, administer justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Don't oppress the widow. The widow was a very vulnerable person um, in, in this society, because there was no Medicare. There was nothing to take care of her. If her husband died, there was no, no, no provision for her whatsoever. The same is true of the orphan. So he's like, look out for the people of the world that nobody else is looking out for. Look out for these people. Don't make it all about yourselves. Don't make it all about um, the materialistic things that you want to enjoy. Be willing to love your fellow man so much so that you would look out for people who are vulnerable in society. Don't oppress people. Don't take advantage of them. And so what he's saying is, like, love me with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
That's the command that the Lord is bringing to them. He's saying, listen, that's, that's, that's what I had said to them. But here's how they responded. But they refused to pay attention, verse 11 says. Stubbornly, they turned their backs and stopped up their ears. They made their hearts as hard as flint and would not listen to the law or to the words that the Lord Almighty had sent by His Spirit through the earlier prophets. So the Lord Almighty was very angry. When I called, they did not listen. So when they called, I would not listen, says the Lord. When you get your prayers answered, you might underline that verse and memorize it. I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations where they were strangers. The land was left so desolate behind them that no one could come or go. This is how they made the pleasant land desolate. Okay, so what does he do in the first part to answer their questions? Should I fast? He's like, wait, when you were fasting, was it really about me? And he says, when, listen, man, this, this place that you're living in, you have, to, you have to picture in your mind, they're living in a state of ruins that they are trying to rebuild. So they're trying to take the mess that was left um, because there, nobody has inhabited the city and they're trying to rebuild it and they're starting with the temple, okay? And they're also trying to get their own houses in order. And it takes time. You don't just go and fix things overnight. And so, like, it takes a lot of time to, to construct things. And they were having to take things that were torn down and sort of clear them out and reshape everything and figure out what material could be used. And so, like, God says to them, and he reminds them, you need to look back and remember when this city was thriving, and I try to get your attention, and I try to tell you that if you don't listen to me, if you don't follow me, if you start being oppressive to other people and you don't care about the things that I've told you are important, the eternal things of my kingdom, he's like, this is why the city is in ruins, is because people wouldn't listen. And so we see that God is communicating very clearly, my judgment had to fall because I love you so much that I'm not going to let you just totally ruin yourselves. And he is showing them that, and he, he administers that justice. And so that's the past. And then he goes into the present. And so it says again in verse 8, or chapter 8, again, the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Zion. I am burning with jealousy for her. You want to know how God feels about you? Let's read that again. I am very jealous for Zion. I am burning with jealousy for her. I'm, I'm reminded of that song we sing. He's jealous for me. Like his love's like a hurricane. I'm like a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. And like all of a sudden, I become aware of this great affection that he has for me. And you just, boom, oh, how he loves me. Because that's what God is saying here. Is he's jealous for us. Like he desires to be in intimate fellowship with us. He says, this is what the Lord says, I will return to Zion. Okay, so he's been gone. Now you have to remember this is a different time in the covenant. So we're looking back on the historical um, uh, um, law and how God interacted with Jerusalem before Jesus came as the great um, sacrificial lamb that would save all people and the Gentiles would be brought in. And so they're living in a time where God's presence was indicated by he would be in the temple. This is why he had the, 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 uh, the, the plans for the Ark of the Covenant were so specific. When God gave them to Moses as a nation, they were being formed as a nation as they came out of bondage. And he said, I want you to build an ark. And he, I said, I want you to build a tabernacle. And then place that ark in the tabernacle and separate the ark with a holy of uh, a curtain, and, and behind that will be the holy of holies. And when they all finished it and they, they dedicated it to the Lord, the glory of God that they had been following in that fire came down and rested upon it. And so God's presence on the planet was with Israel as a nation. And you say, well, why did he choose Israel? It's very simple. Like he's trying to talk to all of humanity. How's he going to talk to us? He chooses one man, makes a promise, and then through that prophetic promise, he starts fulfilling it in the midst of time. And that promise was to Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. 
And so Abraham didn't have any children, and there was a miraculous birth that happened when he was well beyond the age of being able to have a son, and his wife as well was in her 90s, and we have a miraculous birth, and Isaac is born, and we move up through Jacob and the patriarchs, and all of a sudden Joseph is carried away into slavery, and it looks like things are falling apart, but as we were reminded of the, 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 the message last week, God is in control of nations, and so there somebody comes along and pulls Joseph out of that pit that his brothers had thrown him in. They take him to Egypt. He gets um, put in prison. Then he, um, long story short, and I'm putting some things together. He befriends the jailer. The jailer, or he he befriends. Uh, the, yeah, I think he befriends the jailer. He becomes the trustee of the jail, and then um, he interprets some dreams. And then the Pharaoh has some dreams that he doesn't know what they mean. And somebody says, hey, there's a dude over there that runs the, the prison. He's in prison, and he kind of is the chief trustee. He knows how to interpret dreams. So they bring Joseph out, and Joseph interprets the dream. And then all of a sudden, he went from the pit to be in the right hand of the uh, Pharaoh. And he was leading the nation of Egypt. And because of his ability to understand and hear from God, Egypt became incredibly wealthy. They were like, like they were a superpower. They were rich, okay? And he was leading them. And then he dies, and, and, and they're a, like the nation of Israel at that time was about 70 people because it was just him and his family. Over 400 years, they are there, and they grow to in excess of a million. But they're slaves, okay? And as slaves, then what happens is God raises up Moses who... He was living in with the Pharaoh's daughter. Like he was, the, she adopted him because his mom had to put him in the, in the river because the other Pharaoh was killing all the Jewish children, the Hebrew males. So again, it looks like everything's out of control, but all of a sudden God uses that to put this guy as he's like a prince in Egypt. And then he recognizes the call of God on his life. And what does he do? He, he is used by God to lead Israel out of bondage from Egypt. And you know what happened? This very wealthy nation, that there were so many miraculous plagues that were falling on Egypt, that when the, when the Jewish people, when Pharaoh tri finally let them go, the, the Egyptians were so, like, like so shook up about the move of God, they just gave them gold and silver. And so they left with the wealth of Egypt that was created by Joseph years earlier. And so God put them there, and then now they're coming out, and they're a nation, but they have no law. They have no government, so God gives them a law. He gives them a government, and that's where we get back to this Ark of the Covenant, and he says, I'm going to rest in that. And so his glory comes down on it. And so when we get to this part, and I don't even, what verse was I reading? Because I chased a rabbit way down that hole. But it's, it's going to make sense here. Three, you say? All right, man. Thank you for paying attention. You can have a hat. <laughs> All right. And so, so, they, so he says uh, in verse 3, this is what the Lord says, I will return. So whenever the exile happened, I think it's the prophet Jeremiah, he, pro he prophesies about the glory of God leaving the temple. And it leaves and then this, like they're, they're, they go away and they're carried into exile and the temple is torn down and God's nowhere around. And so it's, he's showing like, I have departed. And what does that mean? Does that mean that God doesn't love them? He's, he's thrown them away? No, it means the judgment of God has fallen on the nation. And so the blessing of God can't fall because they were being disobedient. And so like, then the glory of God departs. But then he says, I'm going to return. And so he says, this is what the Lord says. I will return to Zion and I will dwell in Jerusalem. Why does he do this? Because he loves her. He loves, he loves us. He's jealous for us. That's what we read in verse 1. He says, then Jerusalem will be called what? When he comes back. The city of truth and the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the holy mountain. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with cane in hand because of his age, and the city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. Now, what is that saying? Remember, everything they're looking at as, as Zechariah is communicating the word of the Lord to them, it's in ruins. And the most vulnerable of the society, society were the elderly and the young, okay, and so the elderly couldn't make the trip to try to rebuild the city because 
they were elderly, right? And then you got the young, they had to worry about them. They couldn't be taken care of. They couldn't play in the streets. It was a dangerous place. There weren't even any city walls. And so God says to them, when I return then you're going to see that the old people will be filling the streets and the young people will be playing games out in the streets. And they couldn't, like this, this, this seemed impossible to them because of, of the state that the city was in at this time. And he says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. It may seem marvelous to the remnant of this people at that time, but it will, will it seem marvelous to me, declares the Lord. What's that remind? That reminds me of, um, it may seem impossible for you, but all things are possible for me. That's what God is saying. I'm not going to be blown away when this happens. I'm telling you it is going to happen is what God is saying. This is what the Lord Almighty says. He goes on in verse 7. I will save my people from the countries of the east and the west. What is that? Well, the east never meets the east and the west never meets the west. What's that mean? You can start traveling east and travel east for all time. Okay? You can travel west and you could travel west for all time. And so it's an, in, it's an indication that he will gather his people from the entire globe. All right? I will bring them back to live in Jerusalem. They will be my people, and I will be faithful and righteous to them as their God. This is what the Lord Almighty says. You who now hear these words spoken by the prophets who were there when the foundation was laid for the house of the Lord Almighty. So this is the present. He says, let your hands be strong so that the temple may be built, so that you can, you can finish what I've told you to do, my command to build the temple. And he, then he refers back to before that time. And he says, before that time, there were no wages for man or beast. No one could go about his business safely because of his enemy, for I had turned every man against his neighbor. But now... I will not deal with the remnant of this people as I did in the past, declares the Lord Almighty. So he's saying, look, I know like that, that, that what happened, and it had to happen, but he says things are about to shift. And he says, the seed will grow well. The vine will yield its fruit. The ground will produce its crops, and the heavens will drop their dew. I will give all these things as an inheritance to the remnant of this people. As you have been an object of cursing among the nations, O Judah and Israel, so I will save you and you will be a blessing. Do not be afraid, but let your hands be strong. He keeps talking to them about their hands being strong. And so what is he saying here? He's saying, men, they were the laughing stock of the surrounding areas. They were just a trophy to be captured and placed in the trophy case of people like the Babylonians. And he says, you were a, like you were a laughing stock to them, but I'm going to change and flip all that. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty says in verse 14. Just as I had determined to bring disaster upon you and showed no pity when your fathers angered me, says the Lord Almighty, so now I have determined to do good again to Jerusalem and Ju Judah. Do not be afraid. These are the things you are to do. Speak the truth to each other and render true and sound judgment in your courts. Do not plot evil against your neighbor, and do not love to swear falsely. I hate all this, declares the Lord. What does the Apostle Paul tell us to do in Ephesians? Speak the truth to one another in love. Like, speak the truth when the, the truth needs to be spoken. Balance it with grace and truth. Like, grace and truth have come to us through Christ, and we are to balance it and speak the truth to one another about what? About how we're following God. Who's speaking truth into your life about how you're following God besides me on a Sunday morning, which is really speaking truth to the whole and proclaiming what we should be doing. Somebody ought to be speaking truth into your life that is walking with you so they can recognize the error, and you ought to be speaking truth into someone else's life. We see that hundreds of years even before the, the church was born that God says is, that's important to him. And then he says again in verse 18, the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. This is what the Lord Almighty says. The fast of the fourth, fifth, seventh, and tenth months will become joyful and glad occasions and happy festivals for Judah. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. He's like, I'm going to take this fast, this place of mourning you're in, and I'm going to flip it into a festival. 
This is what the Lord Almighty says. Many peoples and the inhabitants of many cities will yet come. And this is where he's talking about future, okay? This is how we get into the kingdom. We become a part of the spiritual Israel, if you will. When, when, when Paul talks about we are grafted in, here's a prophecy about that. He says that, that, that many peoples and inhabitants of many cities will yet come, and the inhabitants of one city will go to another and say, let us go at once to entreat the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty. I myself am going, and many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord Almighty and to entreat him. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, ten men, ten always means like complete, ten men from all languages, And nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. Whoa, there's a lot in there, man. All right? So how do we take all of that stuff and that was written like, what, 2,500 years ago? How do we take all of that stuff that I've just read about where God is talking to the nation of, uh, uh, of, of Israel about rebuilding and how does it impact you and I today. Well, what I'm going to do is today's takeaways, and there are, I don't know, five or six of them and a big idea. They come to you in a series of personal questions. So I'm going to give them to you in, in questions. And so I would encourage you, if you've got something to write on, if you've got a bulletin, get an ink pen and answer these questions. And I don't know why else you came here today. Like, if you didn't come to find out more about the Lord, like, you should have just slept in, right? Like, so, so what is the, like, how do you answer these questions may show you where you're at in your journey with the Lord and what needs to take shape. Now, remi- be reminded that I'm teaching you from something that was written 2,600 years ago, 2,500 years ago, something like that, a long time ago. And it has to do with everything that we're going to find in the New Testament. So everything I'm going to teach you from the Old Testament that was written 2,600 years ago, Jesus came and made it all possible for us to live out about 2,000 years ago. And sometime in the future, Jesus is coming back, just like these ancient documents tell us that God has used prophecy throughout time to tell us what his plan is, and then he's fulfilled the prophecy. That's why the nation of Israel still exists today, and it is the source in this region of so much conflict. It is because it is God's chosen people, and he's telling the story of who he is through these people. If it were not for Israel, we would know nothing about God, all right? Because how would we figure? That's why there are so many different religions, is because some people are following things that they've made up, and this goes back, boy, I got another rabbit hole going, but I got to finish it here, all right? You got, the, you got the Tower of Babel, and all the people were one people, and they came to the Tower of Babel, and they started building this thing that they said, come, let us build a tower that reaches to the heavens. It was a humanistic, religious experience where they were coming together and unifying and building an edifice that reached up into the heavens, and that's what tells us it was, it was a, uh, a religious experience for them. And God looked at it, and they thought they were doing so great because of their intellect and their ability to build this architectural structure that was going up and reaching into the heavens, and they were so far away from God. This happens in the beginning of the creation story as we read the book of Genesis. And God says, come let us which we see as an indication of the Trinity. Come, let us go down and take care of this mess. And judgment fell, and the tower fell, and the people no longer could speak in the same languages, and so they were all scattered everywhere. They went in different directions, and because they went in different directions and couldn't speak the, they did it because they couldn't speak the, the like they, uh, at first, like, you could say, hey, bro, and the bro would say, hey, what's up, bro? Now you say, hey, bro, and the guy would look at you like, what did he just say? Like, it wouldn't make any sense, so they scattered. And so now we have people figuring out some people are going to be drawn back to the truth, but other people are going to figure out their own truth. And that's why we have so many different religions today, but ultimately we only have one God who is speaking historically through a nation of Israel and doing it over and over and over miraculously by fulfilling prophecy through the Jews. 
And so, like, we can still look ahead. There's so much unfulfilled prophecy. And so when we say, well, how can you say that Christianity is right and um, the Muslim faith is wrong? Because they don't have the prophetic utterances of the Word of God like we have in the Scripture. Like, if you use your intellect and you approach these things with just a good, sound apologetic, and you use reason and you start studying actually what we have as evidence, you will see that Christianity is not a blind leap in the dark. It still requires faith in an unseen God, but it requires faith in an unseen God who has given us incredible evidence to investigate and go, look, man, it is the Lord. And so like, that's why we, what verse was I on now, bro? Are you paying attention, Michael? Come on, man. Well, I, I read all of them, didn't I? Jeez. <laughs> this is important stuff, all right? So we get back to Where are you at in your journey with this God that I've just taken time to describe? So these questions are to help you like decipher that and go, all right, it's an inventory. That's what today's takeaways are. Here's the first one. Is my heart bent toward Jesus or myself? That's question number one. It's either you got to write down, my heart is bent toward Jesus, or my heart is bent toward myself. There's nothing new here, okay? It's the same old, same old in the Word. It's about our hearts. And faith is dead if it is not coming from a heart of obedience. So I'm not asking you, is your heart bent to believe in Jesus? That's not what I'm asking you. I'm asking you, is your heart bent toward obeying Jesus? Or is it bent toward obeying your desires? So when Jesus says, hey, you need to be baptized, is it bent toward, I'm going to follow him in baptism? Or is it bent toward, well, ah, baptism's probably not that important. When Jesus says, hey, you need to um, give your life to me and yield to me and, and, and call upon me to be saved, is it, well, um, my heart is bent toward stepping into that obedience or is my heart bent toward um, I'm going to like there's many different religions and I believe in Jesus and I'm going to go to church and try to do the best I can and love my neighbor and, th- and hope it all works out good. That's bent toward yourself. That's not bent toward Jesus. That's not what Jesus said to do. Jesus said there's not enough good that you could do in order to get right with me. So a heart bent toward Jesus is always listening to what Jesus asks you to obey. So that's a, that's a really important question. So he says, ask all the people of the land and the priests. This is uh, chapter 7, verses 5 and 6. When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months for the past 70 years, was it really for me you fasted? And when you were eating and drinking, were you not just feasting for yourselves? He's, so he's saying, your heart wasn't bent toward me. Your heart was bent toward yourself. And so the first step in order to get into a place of blessing with God instead of a place of desolation And judgment, if you want to walk in the blessing of God, the freedom of God, the abundant life, is the first step is you've got to get to a position where your heart is bent toward Jesus and not bent toward yourself. Here's the second question. Have I listened to the call of the Lord? Have I listened to the call of the Lord? Chapter 7, verse 13. What does it say? When I called, they did not listen. So when they called... I would not listen. That's what the Lord says. So some, some of you may be going, man, I tried praying and God doesn't, he doesn't hear my prayer. He doesn't answer my prayers. Maybe it's because your heart is bent toward yourself because when he calls, you're not listening. So therefore, when you call, he's not listening. If your heart is not bent toward Jesus, then he's not going to listen to what you're seeking because you're not seeking his kingdom. You're seeking your kingdom. And all these other things are added to your life only when you seek his kingdom first. So you've got to bend your heart toward Jesus. And when your heart is bent toward Jesus, then you are listening to the call of the Lord. Now what is really important about that is verse 12 of chapter 7. I want, you to, I want to show this to you. They made their hearts as hard as flint and would not listen. Who made? They made. So when you bend your heart toward yourself, you are making your heart hard and you will not listen to the Lord. And the one key thing Jesus says in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice. 
and they listen. Okay? So you can make your heart hard. And that's very a frightening thing to think. Here's the third, uh, or to imagine. Here's the third thing. Have I been transformed by truth? All right, look at verse, or chapter 8, verse 3. This is what the Lord says. When the Lord shows up, this is what happens. The return to Zion, I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called what? A city of truth and the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the holy mountain. So the more I hear the voice of the Lord, the greater my transformation. So have I been transformed by the truth? The scripture teaches us in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. He is transformed. The old is gone. The new has come. When God moved back into the city of Jerusalem, what happened? It became a city of truth. It was transformed by the truth of God. Instead of living a lie that is bent toward yourself, you bend your heart toward Jesus, and now truth penetrates your heart, and you're walking in obedience as though you listen to the call of God, and it falls on your life, and you step into that obedience, more truth is transforming your life. And so it's not just one transformation. It's not, oh, I was transformed back in 1979. I was transformed in 1986. I've been getting transformed all week long, bros. Like, I'm still getting transformed. I'm getting transformed by the word that I'm preaching to you right now, and the Lord is blowing my mind about how much the Old Testament prophets have to do with the New Testament teachings of Jesus. And it's just blowing me away. Transformation is a city I live in. And that's where we're supposed to be living. Now, how can you be transformed if you can't hear the call of God because your heart is bent toward yourself instead of Jesus and the, and the truth doesn't penetrate and so you just go along and you don't know anything about the things of God and you think you know everything. It's like the Pharisee who says, thinking they see, they see nothing. All right, so here we go. You tracking with me? Next question. Have I let my hands be strong to build? Look at verse 9 of chapter 8. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Now hear these words. Let your hands be strong so that the temple may be built. Let. That's the whole doctrine, I think, of free will. I'm going to let my hands be strong. And, and you cannot grow in the things of the kingdom if you will not let your hands be strong. So you may be in a place where there's a bit of frustration in your life and you're like, man, I don't know. Like Jimmy's talking about these things and I, I, it, it may be you're not getting any movement because you won't consciously let yourself get strong. Because you are consciously bending your heart toward yourself instead of bending it toward Jesus. So how do we let our, 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 our hands be strong? We have got to bend our hearts toward Jesus. And now what's interesting is when, when the word of the Lord comes to Zechariah in this particular verse, and uh, uh, this section of the, uh, of the word today, it has to do with the building of the temple. And so all of a sudden he just throws this reference to the temple in there. This is the direct command of God for these people in this time. Build the temple, okay? Jesus said, like, the temple would be destroyed, and then he would say, I will rebuild it in three days, all right? So there's a direct command coming from God to the people 500 years before the time of Jesus that they need to finish the temple. Finish this temple that I've... Now, this is a physical structure. Finish building that thing. We have a direct command. Do you know what our direct command is? Go ye therefore into all the earth and, and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to observe all that I have taught you. That is a direct command. Now what happens when we make a disciple? Now the Lord has to make, he has to do the transforming, but we are used as living stones in cooperation with the king to make the disciple. 
And what is the disciple other than a living stone that is fastened into the temple of the Lord? Because each one of us are temples of the Lord. And so when we say, when I say, let your hands be strong to build, what that is, a, I, what I believe God has called us to, to do, and I can see it in the Old Testament, I can see it in the New Testament, and the deeper in the word I get, the more convinced I get of the reality of the one purpose we have is to make disciples that make disciples. And if you're not letting that happen, you are not walking in obedience. I don't care what you say. Why do I say it that strongly? Because Jesus said to do it. We can't get away from it, folks. Like, it is the command of the Lord. And when we look in the Old Testament and we see the one command that he gave to the nation, because he's speaking to them as a nation, we are spiritual Israel. And the one command that he gives to us as spiritual Israel is to build the temple. And how are we to build the temple? We are to make disciples that make disciples. And so we have to, what do we have to do in that? I was going, how do I, how, what do I do? Let your hands be strong. Let, just let it go, man. Let it happen. Here's the next question. Got two more. This gets really cool, I think. Am I producing fruit that will last? Am I producing? Now, verses 12 through 17, I won't take time to read them. Only the first verse in chapter 12, or verse 12. The seed will grow well, the vine will yield its fruit, the ground will produce its crops, and the heavens will drop their dew. I will, call, I will give all these things as an inheritance to the remnant of this people. What is that? That is productivity. Now, when I say, am I producing fruit? Jesus said, if you remain in me, you will produce fruit. If, apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus said, he gave one guy this many talents, another guy this many talents, another guy that many talents. He said, you go out and you do something with those talents. And what he wanted them to do, to do with those talents is multiply them. One guy took the 10 and he turned it into 20. One guy took the five and he turned it into 10. One guy took the one and he hid it in the ground and wouldn't let it grow. And he was desolated. Like, when I teach you about discipleship, it's not like my brainchild that I'm trying to get the church to grow. I'm trying to walk in the obedience of the Lord. There are a thousand different ways I could get the church to grow. I could have a, 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 a you know, we could get a, some kind of crazy comedian to come in and he's nationally known and all of a sudden we have a big Sunday and hopefully we'll retain 15 uh, or 20 of those families that come on that Sunday. And then we could do another big event, and we could try to get, a, on this Sunday, we're going to have this big event and get everybody to come, and then hopefully we can retain 10 or 15 of these families. And eventually we'll have 1,000 people in this place, and nobody will be making disciples that make disciples. And we'll all be walking in disobedience. And so there are 1,000 different ways to grow a church, but there's only one way that Jesus said to do it. Make disciples that make disciples. And so when we look at our lives, we go, men, am I producing fruit like that? Is there fruit in my life that the Lord talked about in the New Testament that is growing around me? And here's the last one. Are people coming to go after the Lord with me? Look at verse 23. In those days, 10 people from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. This is the way the gospel moves. It's that people look at us and they can tell, man, the Lord is moving. The Lord is moving in the midst of that person's life and I want to go with them. And so Jesus, what did he say in the Great Commission? As you go, make disciples. So that people will come around, man, and they will come and they will take hold of you and they will say, teach me the things of the Lord. And so the, the, the objective of discipleship is not to go and try to make somebody believe what they don't want to believe. It's to find somebody who's looking for God and teach them about him. The Lord is already at work, man. He, Jesus said to his disciples whenever he sat with the woman at the well and they were freaked out by it. And he said, my food is to do the will of the, uh, uh, the Father. He looked around and they all, he said, man, look at the fields. They're white with harvest. What does white mean in that particular verse? It, it means the Samaritans, they were always wore white um, robes. And he's saying, and these were the people that they, they, the Jewish people didn't want to have anything to do with because they were half-breeds. And he says, man, look, the, the, it's white with harvest. He's like, the laborers are plenty, or the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. 
And so the Lord doesn't want us to do something that is incredibly hard for us. The hardest part about it, you want to know what the hardest part about it is? Let it happen. And, 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 and when you let it happen, then the Lord starts moving in it, and you're like, ah, oh, it is the Lord. He's moving right here. I can't believe this. I can't believe this person said, yes, they want to walk with me. I can't believe that this person is getting movement in their life that they've said they've never gotten before. I can't believe this person is getting saved. I can't believe I'm getting to baptize this person. It is the Lord. What did I do in the midst of all that? I just let the Lord do what he does, and I believed that he would do it. That's, that's all we're trying to do here. And so as that happens, the gospel begins to move. It begins to travel beyond the individual. And as we're going, it travels um, from person to person, and we get to be in on it, and we let um, God do his thing. And, and so we look at all that, and we go, geez, man, there's some of these things in here. I, I, uh, I just failed the test, bro. Like, what do you do if you feel that way this morning? I got good news for you. The gospel's always good news. It's always good news. And here's the big idea. Take hold of his hymn. Take hold of his hymn. It says, in those days, these people will come from everywhere, and they will take firm hold of one Jew by the hymn. One Jew by the hymn. And it says that, that, that as that happens, they will go up with him. And so here we go, man, there's so many different ways this, is, this, this plays out. One is the, the disciples in the upper room in the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. They were there praying, and the Holy Spirit fell on them. And when the Holy Spirit fell on them, they went out into the streets, and it says that they had tongues of fire, cloven fire, tongues of fire above their heads, and they started speaking. And they started speaking in passion and power and demonstration of the Spirit. And it was during a time where there were Jews from all over. You see, the Jews were scattered, and so they would make a pilgrimage in. And it says there were Parthes and uh, Medes and, 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 and all these different tribes that spoke all these different languages. They were all Jewish people, and they looked at the Gentile people who spoke a different language to them, and they said, how is it that these Gentiles are speaking in a language that we can understand them? Because all these men would come to one Jew and they would be able to hear the voice of the Lord. And they got saved that day, man. And 3,000 people came out of the ground and boom, the church was, was like it was, it was there. One day it was not and one day it was. It's because that people were taking hold of the words of the one Jew, Peter, as he spoke about them. It also says that nations would do it. The Romans weren't Christians. The Romans started, or they were crucifying Christians. They were burning them in the streets, using them as lampposts. They were feeding them to wild animals. But in, within a few years of the death of Christ, the entire Ro Roman world like, became Christian because they were taking firm hold of one Jew. And so like, when we look at that, we go, well, who is the Jew? We know the Jew is Jesus. Do we take hold of that robe, man? I'm reminded of the woman who had an issue of blood and she was all in the crowd and Jesus was in the midst of the crowd and all of a sudden he stopped and he said, who touched me? And the disciples were like, bro, people are touching you everywhere. But he said, somebody, this is what Jesus was saying, somebody just grabbed the hem of my robe and wouldn't let go. And that woman received a miracle from the Lord that day. This word, take hold. If we take hold like this, the kingdom will break out. We get a hold of it, the kingdom will break out. You young people, you come, you listen to my messages. You're going to have to make a decision in your life where you're more concerned about what's happening on Snapchat or what's happening with the Savior of the world. If you take hold of the Savior of the world, I'm telling you, he will do things in your, mind, your life that will blow you away. But if you loosely try to touch it every once in a while, you will not see the things and the blessing of God that he will do in your life. you got a decision to make right now. you got a decision to make because you're going to decide what your life is going to be like for the rest of time. And if you will take hold of the hymn, the Jew, he will do something in you that will blow your mind. Like all of us. Like we got to let go of the things that are distracting us and take hold of the hymn of the Jew. And let him do his work. This word in the Hebrew is the word hazak. And it means grow strong. Grow strong. Let yourself grow strong. It's the same word that we used earlier. Then I said, well, you got to let yourself become strong. It's hazak. 
Like, let it happen. Let yourself get strong. And how do you get strong? Just grab a hold of the hem of that Jew they call Jesus and let him transform your life. And your life will start to look like a city of truth instead of a cesspool of sin. Every head bowed, every eye closed. What is the Lord saying to you today? What is he saying to you in this moment? What's he want to do in your life? Amen. He's the Jew that changed the world. Like what, is, like, what is he saying? Do you need to give your life to him? Do you need to let go of some things and take hold of his him? You see, I'm just the messenger in this moment. I can't, I can't go any further in the transaction. All I can do is deliver the message from the word of the Lord. And now you sit there in your chair, and it's between you and the Lord. You sit at home in the living room. It's between you and the Lord. What do you do with the truth? Do you let it? bend you toward Jesus? Or do you bend your heart toward yourself in this moment and let your heart get hard? Friends, if you take hold of the, if you take hold of the hymn of the Jew, Hazak, let yourself get strong. You don't have to have all the answers. He will teach them to you in time. And he will do things in your life that will leave you speechless with only the words falling from your mouth. It is the Lord. It is the Lord that has done this. I'm going to let Sean play us in, a, in a, just a little bit of a time for to marinate in this, this moment with the Spirit. Maybe you want to come and physically kneel here at the stage and use it as an altar and let go of some things and take hold of the hymn. Maybe you want to do it right there in your chair. But if you make a decision and you take hold of something in your life, like share it with somebody. Share it with me. Put it in the offering on the way out. Like just drop a little note in the offering and say, man, like this is what happened for me today. Celebrate with me, pastor. Tell somebody you came with. Do something. Don't just let it sit there. Take a hold of it, man, and let yourself be strong. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.